Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 514 on Tuesday, the 21st of February, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be discussing the end is definitely now nigh for the internal combustion engine. We are shocked at the price of one particular car. And we ask, just what is in a name? But first, we have a smidgen of follow-up. And this is the big news, or one of the big news stories from last week. And it is the EU Parliament has confirmed the 2035 ban on new petrol, diesel and hybrid vehicles. Mm -hmm. Cars, not vehicles, cars. Yes, cars being a specific one there. Yes. On top of that, though, they have also declared that there needs to be CO2 reductions that they're bringing into play and making a bit stricter than they had been previously. Well, the Euro 6 has wavered back and forth a couple of times now, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. They want an intermediate target of 55% reduction in CO2 emissions from cars compared with 2021 levels. Okay. Now, previously it was a few years back or 2010, something like that, and but they've Somewhere. brought that forward now because the levels were so much lower in 2021. But it's not all all to internal combustion engine manufacturers because if you are a low-volume manufacturer, you do get exemption of the rules until the end of 2035, and this will be on the reduction of CO2s. Hmm. If you produce between 1,000 and up to 10,000 new cars or 1,000 to 22,000 new vans, then that's where you're going to get the exemption up to the end of 2035. If you are making or registering, sorry, fewer than 1,000 new vehicles annually, you will be exempt after 2035. So the likes of BAC Mono, probably Morgan, um, Noble, those sorts of aerial, those sorts of companies are not required to make sure that they have electric-only vehicles. Mm-hmm. Although in reality, because they source their engines from elsewhere, <laughs> there will be electrification happening. Yes, yeah, but obviously manufacturers will have all the bits for them, so they'll just keep on building crate motors. Yeah, they'll stocked up on all the parts. So yeah, this doesn't come as a surprise to anybody. Really? It shouldn't? No, no, it, it, sh- it shouldn't. It's been talked about for long enough. Yeah. And that seems quite, for what it is, you know, it seems like quite a reasonable way of introducing it and, and reasonable sort of boundaries and things there for, so, certainly to me as a layman anyway. Well, everybody knows where they stand now. I mean, yeah. that's still apparently well, up for discussion in the UK with, you know, what do you mean by 2030, 2035? I was going to say everybody in the EU knows where they stand now. Ever in the UK, people are saying, well, you know, this may well inform our, our, our decisions and what we're going to do. Obviously, nobody in the UK has decided anything yet. My money is that it will be exactly the same as the EU. Yeah. I, I can't see why they would change it. Yeah. They might change a couple of commas around, but that'll be a bit be about it. Yeah. All right. Talking of the UK, do you want to take us to the big news from the UK? Just before I go any further, apologies for me sounding a bit stuffed up and, and croaky today. The problem is with me and not with any of the recording. Uh, equipment between me and you <laughs> i do actually sound like this last week i sounded so much sexier to be honest when it was just my throat anyway the big news uh, this week is ford ford is performing a strategic le- realignment in europe uh, and as a result it's going to in their words eliminate 3800 roles across europe that means the loss of about 1300 jobs 
in the UK. Uh, that's going to be over three years. And Ford's claiming it's going to revitalize its business in Europe through the creation of a leaner, more competitive cost structure and an unapologetically American new lineup of passenger vehicles, along with its commercial vehicle sector. Andrew's pulling funny faces at that. The unapologetically American does seem a little bit weird. I mean, the Fiesta's already gone. The Mondeo is gone. The Focus still exists. Not for much. No, it's going because they're, they're going, in talks yeah. of selling that factory off to uh, one of the Chinese EV makers. Oh, okay. The S-Max is gone or has been. Yeah, st- yeah. we've been told it's going. The S-Max and the Galaxy. Yep. Are on their way out, so that's not going to leave an awful lot, really. And so the Cougar is very popular, but it's the unapologetically American that I worry about because they've tried this before, haven't they? Where they've gone, oh it well, does. we know best. We'll throw American-styled and leaning cars across the world, and people go, eh, not really, yeah, actually. But the thing is, actually, there are models in the U.S. lineup which you think, you know, that should work. Mm. So, for example, there's the well, not the Bronco. The Bronco is too big. Okay, no doubt they'll try and bring it across just to sort of as a brand bolstering exercise. And there will be some people who wear cowboy boots for fun who will buy them, Phil. But the Bronco Sport, on the other hand, is a far more European-sized vehicle, and I could see that actually doing all right in the European market. I asked about that because I saw one um, last summer on our roads mm. and thought, actually, that fits. Yeah, uh, it fits on our narrow roads, not just you know, not just the motorways and stuff. It looks Europeanish or European yeah. enough, or the styling is acceptable enough to European eyes. Yes, and I just thought all that that all worked. But when I did mention it, there was discussion about uh, emissions, and then there was discussions about safety tech and all that sort of side of things that it possibly doesn't have because uh-huh. the US look at different things than the eu even uh, thankfully well done everybody uh (laughs) that's where it was held up but if they made an electric version i think that negates a lot of the or or even a plug-in hybrid version Mm. in the meantime yeah then then that would negate quite a lot of that of course we get the mackie mustang over here as well and that's us very much us originated yeah yeah nice to drive as well Mm. yeah but I see that also somebody are mentioning the F-150 Lightning. That's a ridiculous-sized vehicle. Uh, and the Maverick, of course, came up in a discussion recently where, again, it's actually it's a European-sized pickup truck. I just don't understand what the market would be in Europe because it's not rugged enough to be a Ranger. I mean, it's smaller than the Ranger, mm. but it's not rugged enough to for, to for the Ranger market, but it is too pickup-y. I, don't, I think it's still too niche as a pickup to be a market for the consumer and really a pickup as a consumer vehicle in the uk or in europe it's we've got too much rain yeah he says looking out the window (laughs) at the sleet that's now falling the other thing ford said as well not only uh, are they is it because um electrification means that they need less people to build things but also that they are really going to be hammering the connected services and yeah uh, I'm not surprised because I've read their T's and C's. I am not surprised that that is something they're going for. I'm going to move him on from that one right now. Yeah, I can get angry in the next article. <laughs> if you want to read a bit more, uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to the article from Automotive Management Online. Mm-hmm. Andrew, the next story is a rarity for us here. It is. Drum roll, everyone. <laughs> 
we are choosing to uh, link to the Jalopnik article this time, and that is uh, the NHTSA has recalled every Tesla equipped with, and this is quotes, full self-driving beta over crash risks. And amazingly, NHTSA has finally done something in the face of what appears to be huge amounts of evidence that perhaps the full self-driving beta software should not be allowed on American roads. Now, let's remember, this is not in Europe. European legislators do not allow this, and the UK, do not allow this on our roads at this time. It is only allowed in America, amazingly. Hell yeah. Freedom! A couple of things have come out about this. They're having to do a recall. They have been forced to do a recall, but Tesla said that they are voluntarily doing a recall, even though they've been told. We have been voluntarily forced to yes. do a recall. Even though they don't agree with it. But it breaks the law. It Quite sorry. This one has bugged me because this was announced a while ago with one of the versions of full self crashing. And it was like, yeah, yeah we're going to smooth the drive and we're going to make it roll, you know. And they showed off the fact it rolled through stop signs. Now, a stop sign, despite the fact that they are grossly overused on this side of the Atlantic, is very often used as a giveaway sign. Just the way we would have giveaway in the UK, uh, or, or there would be yield here, they just slap a stop sign on. They never, they don't really use giveaway. The thing is, it says stop. You're meant to stop. A Tesla on full set there, there, won't. It will roll through it. If it feels that there's nothing else around, just like we would do as a human, it would roll through it, which is illegal. They are actually written into the software to break the law. Mm-hmm. When I went for my driving test, one of the things the chap said to me was, now, of course, this is a driving test, so stop signs mean stop, etc. It's so prevalent to roll through stop signs here that he said stop signs mean stop to me, just to remind me that it was a driving test. Mm. And you can say that. I mean, you can work on that sort of human, oh, we'll judge many, many, many factors, and then we'll decide whether or not we can actually get away with just rolling through the stop sign. You can't write in to the code to essentially a robot thing that, yeah, 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 and so just ignore this rule. Yeah. If it says stop, don't bother. You can't do that. You are telling it to break the law. Yeah. And that was one of the things done. So, I mean, this could all have been happening, in my mind, just over the stop sign one alone. Never mind the driving through intersections on the yellow traffic signals without due caution, traveling straight through intersections in a turn-only lane, any of the other stuff. You could have this up just on the stop sign one alone in my view, as a not-lawyer. Yeah. This has been welcomed by lots of people. However, as many of the safety advocates and those working uh, in automated driving technology areas have pointed out, it doesn't go anywhere nearly far enough. We are unsure whether this will be fixed within a month and therefore, as of now, the vehicles are still doing this or whether Tesla have uh, remotely just switched off the software. Mm-hmm. The recall is going to be done via an over-the-air update. And by the way, anyone that says that isn't a recall, just get in the bin because that's absolute nonsense. It's just they have the ability to fix this over the air. does not mean it is not a recall and should not be a recall. Stop that nonsense for starters. And also anybody that is reporting that they this is full self-driving software, <laughs> you can get in the bin as well. Stop doing that. Stop perpetuating a myth and a lie. So don't do that anymore either. Uh, fortunately, in the UK, our reporting seems to have been significantly better than that, generally. Mm. But if anybody wants to know 
uh, why you know I I harp on quite so much, and I know you feel the same about this, Alan. That we we say that this this stuff should not be allowed on anybody's roads. Is just go back to the deposition uh, and the cross examination of the Tesla engineers that are involved in the autopilot software and the full self-driving software and how little they understand for safety systems, how little they understand for safety, let alone human factors in all that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There will be links in the show notes as well to three other tweets stroke threads from people who are very educated in this sort of stuff explaining why this is just dreadful. So if you want more information, just click through on the show notes. There are still ongoing investigations, of course, talking about why Tesla seem to choose to crash into uh, stopped emergency vehicles and all sorts of stuff like that. So this isn't this is just the first of many of these things, I think. Yep. Anyway, should we move on, please, for everybody's sake? According <laughs> to Automotive Daily in uh, in Australia, the Renault Group says it's no turning back after bumper twenty twenty two sales. Um, so yes, Renault did rather well in 2022, it, it seems. Yes. They generated uh, 46.4 billion euros in revenue in 2022. That was up 11.4% on the previous year, which isn't a huge surprise, given that was quite a, not the greatest of years for anyone. Operating margins start at 2.6 billion euros. And this is all despite the 2.3 billion euros that they had to sign off from the sale inverted commas of their russian operations including their 67.69 that's just wonderfully precise percent stake in autovaz yep but what the thing that really stands out for me is they made or set a new record for operating margin per vehicle that makes me ask the question and i uh-huh. think you're probably just about to suggest this probably. but is this because they like all other manufacturers due to reduced ability to build vehicles have targeted profit positive models shall we say i would imagine that that has something to do with it yes yeah that's uh, that's it and that is exactly what i was about to say next they've made big progress with electrification e-tech hybrid and electric models made up 40 percent of overall sales in europe for the arcana crossover it made 65% of that particular model. That's the one that's like an X6, but French and for people who can't afford an X6. Yeah. I don't, it's the one that I don't know why you would buy it. But cancelled 86,000 sales across Europe. So we must be in the minority. Dacia Jogger sold 57,000. And the Megane sold 33,000. But I, w- I would say, though, with the um, Arcana, that's been out a longer time. The Megane only came out from the summer. Uh, fair enough. Yes, that's a good point. But still. Possibly people have bought that because they didn't have an option. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you that one. 3,546 Alpine A110s as well. So that's pretty good mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Wow. Obviously, there's the Nissan restructure coming up uh, over the coming year, uh, moving 43% to 15%, and Nissan investing 15% in Ampere, the new le- electrification division that we talked about last week, week before, yep. recently. Alliance partner Mitsubishi is also considering an investment in the arm. Okay. <laughs> That's a remarkable turnaround. It really is. It's, it's really impressive, actually. Two years, three years ago, they were in real deep trouble. I mean, that was in the uh, that was right in the middle of the of the deepest, darkest days of let's Golden, all get, yeah, Gone Gate and everything like that, and the, the arguing and fighting with Nissan. It doesn't come through on the the figures because I've not had a chance to 
check the the paperwork type stuff, the real detail, is mm. how much contribution Nissan made to Renault Group's figures because obviously they will take this year a larger proportion moving forward it obviously reduces down as we as you said mm. and discusses previously but nissan will have helped them as well anyway should we move on to why wales having no money is good for the environment <laughs> yes <laughs> sorry the welsh government <laughs> announced that all major road building projects are to be scrapped and reevaluated you have to resubmit and meet a certain new set of criteria for anything to be built because they ran through all the projects that were in the pipeline and only 17 met the criteria. Mm -hmm. This was heralded very much because Wales are looking at the environment and it is to help the net zero and be carbon clean, etc., etc., moving forward. So that was a week ago. Yesterday... The Welsh government also announced, well, yeah, no, we, we're not going to build any more roads because we actually don't have any cash for it. Whilst both can be true, mm -hmm. one significantly helps the position of the other. <laughs> yes. Awfully cynical. Yes. I don't um, know if that's me or Wales. But. Well, I, kn I know in North Wales, the assembly up there is currently looking at transportation mm. and they are looking at different options of how to pay for roads and the upkeep and local people's travels. They are investigating how local people get around, but they are also at the same time uh, looking at charging people for driving on roads. So this will be one of the first places that does that if they do bring it in. But equally in the, in the next breath, they say, yeah, but we know that the public transport services around here are awful. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, well, uh, are you looking to help the people or are you not and it, it this is where all these conversations about anything to do with transport at the moment and mobility is very tricky because things need to change but those making the decisions to change things don't appear to appreciate or care that people are struggling and have no choice in certain areas it's yeah yes and that doesn't help anybody I, I'm just going to point out it's the, the usual challenge with any government who only has devolution at the heart of anything they're going to do. Mm. Basically, it's it's once once they achieve or partially achieve that, then nothing else really matters. They're only focused on one thing. Um, we can see that across the wider UK. Yeah. Um, see that in Wales. We can see that in Scotland. Yeah, there's only one thing they're going to put money towards, and that's not speaking to other people. Mm-hmm. Mm, heavy on the cynicism this morning, I'm sorry. Yes, yes, we are a bit. <laughs> Do you want to take us to Essex, though? Um, <laughs> not particularly, Paha. But GridSurf has firmed up plans for a second electric forecourt in Essex, and this new one is going to be near Basildon. They have an existing one at Braintree in Essex, and at the time of our recording, it seems there's quite a few motoring journalists are there anyway, possibly to hear about all the plans for the new one. And to see how busy it is at the moment. But the whole idea, of course, of GridServe's electric forecourt sites is that they are dedicated EV charging sites that aren't just um, some pillars with cables <laughs> in the corner no. of a car park. They Not are actually sent, sent, yeah, <laughs> hidden in a wet, dark corner. Uh, but they are actually a full sort of service station style setup. But there's lounge, toilets, retails, refreshments, whatever. And the ability for you to get on with other things. Uh, whilst your car's charging, should you need to do that. 
there's still finalizing a date to be in construction on the site and it doesn't have a planned open date yet but i'm sure that once it does we will hear about it pretty quickly yep that'll be their fourth one won't it uh yes because they've got one in norwich that opened last year and then they've got a gatwick one that's under construction now that should open Mm -hmm. later in the year I'd love to try one. I still never quite had any. I never had an EV and the chance to get to to Braintree. To be honest, we move on now to some sad news, and this is the fact that honorary chairman Shoichiro Toyoda has unfortunately died at the age of ninety-seven. He was the first son of Chichiro Toyoda, who founded Toyota and took over the reins of the company in nineteen eighty-two until 1992, where he then became the chairman. And then in 2009, he was made honorary chairman until his death last week. That's a lot of change in the in his lifetime, really, isn't it? Yeah. Even just within one company and the, the area he works in. Wow. Yep. That's quite a life. Obviously, his son, uh, Akio Toyoda, is now president and CEO of Toyota TMC. We announced that the other week people said it was a bit of a surprise announcement it may well have been because his father was unwell i would imagine yes possibly played um, something. so it was just making sure that that was in place before anything else happened yeah. um so it's very sad very sad to hear about this so our thoughts with his friends family and colleagues absolutely that takes us to guilt minute the quick break in show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from our podcast players to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, so thank you very, very much, uh, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Thank you, everyone that does. Very much appreciated. I think since we moved the feed, some more obscure podcast players were not updating. We believe they now all update correctly because... I poked some buttons and gave it a kick the other week yes. uh, with some help from our hosting partners. And so I believe everything should all be correct now. New new car news then, Alan? Well, yes. And we start off with the Mazda 2. Mazda 2 will return later this year to being a Mazda. Ooh. And if you wonder what that's about, you, like many other people, may have forgotten that the current Mazda 2 is a little bit of a stand-in and it's really just a Toyota RS with some different badges. But a new Mazda 2, which is very definitely a Mazda, outside and in, will be out later this year. It will be significantly cheaper than even the current one, so it'll start from £17,750. It looks more like the previous generation Mazda 2, but it has a new grille, new headlamps, updated wings, new bumpers, colour accent tabs. And the engines will be uh, 73, 88, 113 brake horsepower, all of the same. A 1.5-litre four-cylinder engine, which you could also find in an MX-5. If you buy one with a six-speed manual, you might end up with the the E-Sky Active G. Snappy. Uh, Mild hybrid system. Uh, If you go for a six-speed auto, you won't. Mm -hmm. The trim hierarchy has become wonderfully complex. 
<laughs> it will now comprise of centerline Homura, exclusive line, and Homura Aka. All will gain bespoke design features most prominently on the grill, according to Autocar. And you'll be able to identify those by little colored tabs and all sorts of other things which are quite obscure, and you're going to have to be even nerdier than me to remember them all. No, um, not but yeah, nerdier it's, than you. As nerdy as you. Come on. This is a Mazda that used to be a Toyota. Come on. <laughs> which is like, back to being a Mazda again. Yeah, this, not a is, this is like drinking it's, game bingo for you. <laughs> it's, if you think Mazda 2, I wonder how many different manufacturers have actually supplied Mazda 2s to Mazda as well as Mazda. Maybe we need to do a chart. Maybe someone else can do a chart and share it with us. I think that sounds <laughs> better idea. But yeah, no, it's really nice. I, I like it. I like the... Yeah. The uh, I've liked the previous version of Master 2. I once went to buy a Master 2 and bought a Master RX-8 instead, because that's what sensible people do. And yeah, I've had them as, as courtesy cars and all sorts, and, and they're, they're just nice little things to drive. Yep, they do. I like okay. Master 2 a lot. And the, the price point as well. I mean, it's nearly, um, it's two and a half grand, or just, oh, sorry, it's just under three grand cheaper than the Peugeot 208 mm. equivalent. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And the quality of the materials and stuff inside will be lovely as well. It is a car manufacturer not leaving the super mini sector. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, quite. Why would they? Because they sell so many in Japan, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, other end of the automotive spectrum. <laughs> oh, well done. Uh, this is the news that uh, Rolls-Royce Spectre has gone on the next level of, or the next round of its testing and refinement before it gets into customers' hands. And they allowed journalists to get hold of it whilst it was testing in South Africa. Previously, they did it in Sweden, where it was all cold and icy, and they did all the sort of cold and icy stuff that one would want to do for testing. But this article, again, it's another autocar article um, that will be linked in the show notes, goes to talk about how it's moved forward and obviously how they are working very hard to maintain the Royals Royce-ness of it, even though it's electric only. Well, I, I have always thought that electric motor would be perfect for the Rolls Royce nessness of it with that sort of talk from zero and yep. doesn't really matter about the power so much and just wafty zero vibration goodness that you get from an EV. It just translates perfectly into a Rolls in, in uh, my mind. Yeah, absolutely. And to make sure that it's remotely usable for Rolls-Royce owners, it's going to have a 106 kilowatt per hour or around 106 kilowatt per hour battery pack, which is the biggest that BMW Group has produced. That will give a combined output of 577 brake horsepower and 664 pound foot of the torques. But when you understand that this thing weighs just a smidgen under three tons, you can see why they've gone for that. And yet it still gets from 0 to 62 in 4.5 seconds. There's two electric motors, one in the front, one in the back, so it's effectively four-wheel drive. It just makes total sense that if any manufacturer was going to be electric, it's Rolls-Royce. Mm. Yep. And just imagine when we get the, to, if we if we ever get to the solid-state batteries, what a yeah. difference that'll make to yeah, say yeah. a Rolls-Royce. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. And they did. There was the EX102. Someone will correct me if I got that wrong because it's the internet that this is published to. I think it was the EX102 was an electric, uh, an electric phantom concept a few years ago. I think I've talked mm. about it before, and I always thought that, that just seemed perfect. It looks like this is 
I don't know. I really think the Spectre looks fantastic as well. Never yeah. mind the electricness. I think it looks great. Yeah, I do as well. It do. really does. It does. Cool. Meanwhile, other electric vehicles in the in the BMW stable, <laughs> which aren't that, which aren't a lot cheaper. No. The 2023 Mini Electric Convertible uh, was announced the other week, and you think, that's fantastic. A convertible electric car. That's going to be genius. I then read that that, to start with, the SE is going to be limited to just 150 UK models. And you think, well, that's all right. It can't be a massive market for a small electric convertible. And then whenever you read that it's going to cost £52,500, you go, there's certainly not going to be a big market for a small electric convertible. (laughs) I mean, obviously, it looks like a mini. There's not much more to tell you, really. It looks like a mini convertible, but electric. It's cool. I I just think it's, it's cool. I think it comes with all the toys. So, you know, it, it comes with special touches. They're going to make a thousand of them. It's going to, it comes with bespoke color wheels, little sports seats. All the, basically, they've thrown everything at it. So you are getting all the spec for your 52 and a half grand. Mm. But because of the soft topness, they've lost 20 miles of range, which I presume is something to do with storing the roof away and battery packs and how that all fits together. Well, if you've got the roof down, the aerodynamics aren't going to be nearly as good. But if you've not driven an electric Mini, it is fantastic. It is wonderfully pointy squirty. I think I talked about it. I was at the BMW driving day. Was it last year? Anyway, last BMW driving day I was at, uh, I drove the Mini electric. Lovely little thing. Convertible just make that better. Be a really cool little car. I'd love to own. It's it's one of those cars where if I just needed a sprinty, roundy, towny car, uh, a Mini electric would be well up the list because it's just just a nice wee thing. And Mm. and the soft top's going to be even better. Well, I think so, because I like soft tops. Andrew disagrees. There's only certain cars I think should be. But anyway, let's move on to points of interest. It's because he's wrong. Anyway, <laughs> this, this, by the way, is very right, what you're about to speak about next. Yeah, points of interest now, and we'll start with the lunchtime read. And we thank listener of Room 101 for passing on this wallpaper article, which is about the new Polestar Design Studio in Gothenburg. This is right up Alan's street in terms of architecture-wise. So up my street. I like wallpaper. Wallpaper, wallpaper, if you've never read it, it's like a magazine, but a bit more pretentious. (laughs) Uh, It always used to be printed on beautiful, beautiful paper. I haven't bought a copy for a while. Cost a fortune as well. But it's really nice, though. It's it's really nice, good quality stuff in there. Anyway, sorry. I'll stop praising the magazine. But yeah, what what, what Paul Starr had done here is really, really nice. Taking that original executive suite the volvo executive suite and turning it into the well turning much of it uh, into the new polestar design studios whilst being as architecturally sensitive as possible yep it's it's uh, i don't want to tell you too much because it's really good yeah pictures are fantastic the uh, explanation and discussion through it is is wonderful as well it really is a cracking suggestion so thank you once again room 101 to uh, for for that link and throwing it our way and as a little reminder for anybody, if you do come across any articles that you think would be helpful for the show, news items or points of interest, then please do send them our way and we will use the very best ones uh, and share them with everybody. Absolutely. Uh, this week's list of the week is from Autocar and it's Do You Remember Any of These Obscure SUVs? And there is a list, there are 62 slides, there aren't 62 in total, 62 SUVs in total, but there's there's a fair number. Yes. Uh, Andrew. 
Mm. Have you chosen one? This was very, very hard. It actually is, because they're not all rubbish. That's the no. thing. They might be obscure, and some of them are rubbish, but they're oh, not yeah. all rubbish. There, there is some absolute garbage in there. Uh, that even if you change the change the badge and the nameplate won't help it. No. But uh, I have... Oh, I've, I've gone a bit clichéd, I'm afraid, but it is the Mitsubishi Pajero Evolution 1997. Oh, that's not that obscure. No, not to us. Not to most of us. Okay. I mean, it's awfully cool. Don't get me yeah. wrong. 3.2 litre V6 petrol, Tiptronic automatic gearbox, Recaro seats. Roof-mounted wings. Roof-mounted, uh, yeah, lightweight body panels, etc., etc., etc. Mm, very cool. Yeah. Have you got one in there? Cause oh, I, I mean, so many. Um, uh, <laughs> I, uh, oh, good. <clears throat> well, ignoring these user vehicles, which is in there. Boo. I didn't think you picked that. <laughs> no, I am going to choose. I don't know what I'm going to choose. Uh, I'm going to choose the Isuzu Axiom because it is absolutely okay. totally forgotten by anyone ever anywhere. And it was one, another one of these sort of concept cars. It was meant to replace the Veracross, really. It was a five door. And if you think Mitsubishi Shogun Sport, that kind mm. of idea, but better looking. I did look at them, though the only ones I could see when I moved here were all a bit, they were either only two-wheel drive or they were really shabby. Uh, and in places like New Jersey and Michigan, which made me just think, oh, it's mostly going to be brown and crumbly underneath then. Yeah. Uh, so so no, I, I didn't buy one. Uh, but the Axiom is very, very cool. If you don't know what it looks like, do have a little bit of a look through. I yeah. also have a quick announcement to Anna Mea Culpa because I said the other week that I had seen a Santander. No, I don't mean Santander. Santana in Perth when I was up the road. This was on the 110s. Uh, I was wrong. Now that I look through here, I can see the daft trucks uh, rear lights telling me that it should be. It was actually an Iveco Massive that I'd seen from the rear. Oh. I think that's an allowable error to make, uh, given that they are both essentially based off the Defender, but not a Defender. You were out of your normal time zone, Alan. We'll forgive you. Yeah, okay. I was I just, you know, the the detail the rear light details between the Massif and the and the Santana allowable things to get confused, I think. But do click the link in the show notes everybody and have a run through the many many slides and just remind yourself of some fabulous and not so fabulous SUVs and let us know if you agree with our choices or what you'd pick. The saddest thing is the number of those I've actually looked for. Oh, you see I could have shown you on an altar as well. Oh. Yeah, anyway, moving swiftly on. Uh, and finally this week. Yes, and we're going, to, we're going to go to York, or maybe going to Milby. Depends on what Apple decides. This is a weird, weird one. Oh, it's mad, this. The, uh, software glitches and how sometimes it can be a bit of a problem. This one veers on the side of, actually, it hasn't, hurt anybody thankfully but could have and for um iphone users and also for well basically it was apple apple maps yeah apple maps and if you're on your iphone it was anything that used your location or the apple maps uh, software that it changed anything that you were trying to do in york in the uk it changed the name to milby which is uh, a hamlet near borough bridge blatantly not york <laughs> yeah 
Very <laughs> weird. This also affected, obviously, apps that use this as well, apart from Apple's own apps. And everybody was told, right, no, we fixed it. It's all been fixed. But then this still continued on mm. as a problem several days later for people in and around York finding this. But it's just, it just goes to show, I think, you know, much as we're laughing and we are, you know, this bit tongue in cheek with this one, mm-hmm. it does go to show how something, because that will be something very simple and not obvious that has happened in the back end mm. that has caused that to be changed. How much of a knock-on effect that has these days, particularly with more and more connected stuff that we're using. Yeah. And you know, we return to Alan making making the very good point of if it's anything to do with automotive mobility transport, that's not consumer software anymore. Mm. That's safety-critical software. Yeah, and this is built on... Apple Maps is built on TomTom, I think. I can't remember. I think they Maybe I'm sure them. it is. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty certain it's, it's built on TomTom. So, but you don't know if it's something in the processing layers in between. Yeah. In between knows. the raw data and up, upwards. But hopefully it gets sorted soon because it's, um, yeah, an embarrassing and awkward one there. Mm. Uh, but, but nobody's, no harm has come as a result of it. No. Uh, Andrew, parish notes? Don't think so. No. Nope. Okie doke. Uh, just to remind you about the car criteria, by the way. Oh, yes. Yes, this was something suggested by a listener, suggesting maybe if you had a criteria for a car uh, or a potential car or even criteria for a car you've already bought in one case of what I've been sent through, but I haven't been told what they bought, then... <laughs> oh, oh, no, no pressure on us. Then. No, hopefully exactly. We pick, hopefully we pick what they've spent money on. There was a sort of a bit of a sort of yeah the the end it was probably, it was probably a bit left field I think but I don't yeah. know but yeah so if you have any requirements for a new to you car please do get in touch with us uh, we're going to record a small series of special editions with that oh in a couple of weeks time I think yeah probably uh, so yes do get in do get in touch uh, and then we shall we shall do a couple of those that would be great mm-hmm. uh, all the usual ways to to get in touch yes. with us. Which we'll tell you in just a moment. Yes, we will, because don't forget, everyone, that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page at motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. Also, if you are on Mastodon, I am there. And again, as Crack Windscreen, so it's easy to find me there too. Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally, what's the best way for them to do that? Just like yourself, uh, you can use Twitter where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-E-D-L-E-Y. And I've got the same username on Mastodon as well, if you prefer that instead. We will be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.